0: Job chapter 1, I'll start at verse 6. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing, Satan replied, if you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. Stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. But the Lord said to Satan, Very well then. Everything he has is in your hands. But on the man himself, So, this evening, as I mentioned before, we're going to talk about Satan, otherwise known as the devil, or Lucifer. Beelzebub is another name that is given to him. Uh, to speak, perhaps to some of you, to speak of the devil these days seems maybe almost medieval, uh, something from the, the Dark Ages. What's next, you might ask. Talk about the empires? Is it that kind of a thing? If you talk to modern society or talk to modern people, they just don't think about Satan that much. Uh, so, in a way, I don't disagree. It's a little bit of a strange topic in that uh, it is something that was emphasized very much in the medieval world and not so much emphasized today. But yet, Satan still remains very much part of our modern culture. Although we don't talk much about him as modern people, hasn't really disappeared even from the world we, we live in around us. Uh, maybe some of you have heard of or even attended Hinsdale Central High School. I think I have an image, right? Does anyone know what they are? The, devil. the Red Devils, right? Red Devils. My daughter, every time we drive past, she says, Why would they change the name, right? Um, so you were a Red Devil, perhaps, if you went to that uh, high school. I think we have another. Yeah. How about that? Terrible. Terrible. Really. And of course, uh, the idea of Satan, the person of Satan, is also very uh, commonly featured in art and literature and music. I have to hear, it. yeah, so that's a, a, an opera CD. And this opera singer has made a living out of basically singing devil roles. He can make a living just being the devil on stage. There are so many roles are just for devil characters, okay? So, that's, uh, that's part of more of the mainstream culture. And then, of course, there are still satanic churches. I think I have a, right? So this is a very well-known uh, church of Satan. and People, hardcore Satan worshippers, and they worship the devil. So clearly then, at least in the, in the popular conception, Satan has not disappeared from the scene. For us, as people of the church, of course, he's always been a part of our discussions. But in the popular imagination of most Americans, uh, even though they wouldn't talk about him, he still is present in their lives. So, what is this all? This, this devil stuff? Is it, uh, is it like, we talk about werewolves, and uh, bomb snowmen, and Lachnus monsters. Is it is it merely the stuff of legends and myth? The stuff of human imagination? Does it have some basis in reality? Well, of course it does. Of course, as Christians, we do believe it has a firm basis in reality. So where we get our reality from is the Word of God. So we're going to begin and end the discussion this evening about Satan in the Bible. Because we believe that the Bible is God's revelation of reality, is revelation of what is so, through this study of Scripture, just a very brief um, study of Scripture, we're going to try to zero in on the reality of who the devil is and what he's all about. You might be surprised by what you hear. You might not be surprised by what you hear. Some of you have probably heard it all before. Some of you maybe you pick up something new. But let's listen to what God says to us this evening through His Word. Okay, so first question The Satan actually exists as a being, as a being. Some people would say, after all, that Satan is, is merely the personification of evil, a face we attach to evil forces in the world. Uh, kind of like Old Man Winter, right? Old Man Winter personifies the evil forces of snow and sleep, as we're reminded today. It might not be all is this how we should think of, of Satan as as old man evil? Well, actually, no. Although certain, Satan certainly represents something and someone bigger than himself, he is not merely an impersonal symbolic figure like the abominable snowman or old man winter. Satan in the Bible is definitely presented as a someone a lively and living personal being. He's not just a bunch of evil energy personified. We see this very personal aspect of Satan in what I just read from Job 1, right? Satan, the very personal being, speaks to another very personal being, God. And Satan here is not portrayed as a representation of something in the passage is portrayed very much as a someone in the passage. Another place in the Bible where we read about Satan as a someone is in the story of Jesus' temptation, right? There's a very personal and very historical uh, dimension to, to Satan's presence in the temptation of Jesus. Luke 4, verse 1, I read this. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. Okay. Uh, one theologian, I have to quote I think have there, says this, he says, The whole story of the temptation of Jesus proves beyond all doubt that we are concerned with a factual and personal conflict between two protagonists. Uh, the account of the evangelists and the behavior and words of Jesus show clearly that we are not concerned with a mere principle of but with a real, factually present, speaking, active person. Not the evil. The evil one. The evil one. Well, what? Okay, so, according to our Bibles, Satan exists. And he exists as a personal being. But now, where did he come from? Where did he come from? What do we know of the origins of this being we call Satan? Well, first of all, we have to understand that Satan, like everything else, like everyone else, he was created by God. He was created by God. John 1.3 attests to this in a very indirect way, saying that all things without exception were made by God in Jesus Christ. Right? John 1.3, through him, the word, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And this includes Satan. Satan was made by God. Created by God. It's understood that he was created as an angel, first of all. Now, before we go further, we have to review a little bit about angels, how they were created, what kind of qualities they have. Angels have intellects, and they have wills. Uh, Angels have desires, and they're able to make decisions. Angels, we can say, are are moral creatures. They possess the ability to choose between right and wrong, between good and evil. And it appears this is how we got Satan as we know him today. Uh, You've heard of good cops gone bad, right? Well, Satan seems to be a good angel who's gone bad. And in fact, he appears to be the baddest of the bad bunch. So, Satan is a fallen angel. Sure, we've all heard that before, but where do we find that in Scripture? How do we support this by looking at the Word of God? Does Scripture back this popular conception up, or at least our conception up, that Satan is a fallen angel? Well, if we look at Matthew 12, 24, we see Beelzebub, another name for Satan mentioned. Uh, Beelzebub here in Matthew 12 is called the prince of demons, the prince, if you will, of the fallen angels. This is what we read there in Matthew. But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. This is their accusation of Jesus. If we look further in Scripture, we find the relationship between Satan and the rest of the demons, the fallen angels, uh, is once more confirmed, this time in Matthew 25. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil, and notice the word there, and his angels, the devil and his angels. So that again builds the case that what we're talking about here is fallen angels. So Satan and his angels, his fallen angels, they seem to be the same origin, the same family, the same ilk, you might say. All angels, albeit fallen angels. Okay, so perhaps the next question now is, where do these fallen angels or demons come from? What's the story behind their fall? And where do we find that in the Bible? Well, let's just look at two verses, or two passages. First, 2nd Peter 2, verse 4. We read this. For God did not spare angels when they sinned, that's important, they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness, he held for judgment. And then Jude 1.6, and the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains. For judgment on the great day. So these angels sinned and God banished them because of it, banished them from heaven because of it. They fell from heaven to hell, from perfection to sinfulness, and became known as the fallen angels. Okay, so that's very introductory, uh, to sum it all up, with great confidence that we can say that this being we know as Satan, he is the head of the fallen angels. And his origin seems to be very similar to that of the other fallen angels. He, like the rest of them, created by God to be good. Uh, created good in the beginning, as everything was. But then he made some bad choices, or a bad choice. And he somehow then rose to the top of this gang of angels that all chose evil over good. Uh, just a Closing for the section quote from a Dutch theologian by the workman, he says this about the scriptural testimony of Satan's origins. He says, the only possible conclusion is that the devil is the leader of a group of angels who rebelled against God and were therefore expelled from heaven to eventually spend eternity in hell. So that's the, that's the origin of Satan based on him so Now let's think about with names, right? We've all heard the names. Satan, the devil, the Elzebub, Lucifer. What do they mean? What, what are they all about, these names? Are we talking about four different people here? Or four different beings? Well, no, it's one being. The first two are a little bit easier to explain than the last words. The first two are really descriptions. Not, they are, become proper names, but they're more descriptions. Because those words have specific meanings. The word Satan means adversary or opposer. And this name is mentioned 52 times in the Bible. The word devil, this means accuser or slanderer. And this name appears 35 times in the Bible. And if you have any doubts as to whether these two words describe the same person, you might say, well, there's Satan and there's the devil, and they're both bad. We have Revelation twelve nine, which ties those two figures together in the Bible. We read this: the great dragon was hurled down, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. So very clearly, Satan and the devil are the same being here, and they're not two separate evil beings. So, what about the name Beelzebub? Beelzebub, this name you read about. What does that mean? Well, in the Old Testament, Beelzebub was a Philistine god. A Philistine god. And his name meant Lord of the Flies. I, I didn't know that before I started researching this sermon. Lord of the Flies. And it seems that Jesus picked this Philistine god's name Key adversary of God. He picked out this name and kind of renamed Satan with it after this Philistine God to represent Satan's role as troublemaker, as the prince of demons, as the lord of the flies, and his adversarial nature. So Jesus co ops, if you will, this name of the Philistine God, puts it on Satan again. To represent what he's all about. It's, it's like if one of us called a woman Jezebel. And you would do so because you thought she was acting in a certain way. And so that's what Jesus does when he calls the, uh, call Satan yells above, because he's opposing God acting like that Felicity God. So those are the first two names. What about Lucifer? Lucifer. Well, does anyone have a, a new King James Version Bible? Uh, if you do, you'll see that name in Isaiah 14. Uh, most Bible translations translate that name to um, the morning star or sun of the dawn. But let me just read Isaiah 14. And if you can think of where you see, oh morning star, think of the name Lucifer, because in Latin, Lucifer means. Morning star. And this is a poetic expression of his fall. How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, O Lucifer, son of the dawn. You've been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. So Lucifer is the morning star or the day star. And Lucifer, the devil, is clearly the one of whose star has faded. So, those are the names, for the, some, some background on the names of Satan. Let's get into the nitty-gritty now. What does he actually do? What does he actually do? How does he keep himself busy? Well, I think first is he opposes God. That's his full-time job. He opposes God. Uh, think of the Garden when Satan tries to lead Adam and Eve astray uh, so that God's desires to live in harmony with them right? Think again about the temptation of Jesus, where Satan, once again, tries to convince someone to do his will, rather than God's will. And this is much about, this is what Satan is much about. He knows God's will, he understands God's will, and he deviates from it himself, and then tries to get others to deviate from God's will. Example, God wants humility, right? If there's any command that's probably one of the most common commands, uh, especially in the New Testament, is about humility. But Satan says, again, opposing God's will. You don't need humility, folks. Don't worry about humility. Take the credit you deserve, right? Opposing God's will for us. Uh, God wants generosity from his people, from everyone, And Satan says, you don't need to be generous. Keep what you have. You've earned it after all. You see? Opposition. God says A, Satan says B. God wants kindness. And Satan says, hey, those people over there, not the Slingers, uh, fictional people over there, <laughs> yeah. Um They're not like us. They're not worthy of your kindness. in what God wants. God wants unity among Christians. And Satan says to the preacher, Satan says to the church, the denomination, tell everyone that you and only you have the truth. No one else. Him anymore, Satan is just posing God at every turn. This is God's will. Oh, I'm going to try to get people to go the other direction with regard to His God's will. And so, Satan might say is a promoter of sin. Sin being activity against God's will. And this is really what his core competency is: is sinning himself and leading others into sin. First John 3.8 says. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. He's a pro. Okay, so that's not all Satan does, though. Satan also has the power of death in his hands. He's all about wreaking havoc, uh, wreaking death and destruction. Hebrews 2.14 says this, Since the children have flesh and blood, he, Jesus Christ, too, shared in the humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. So if Jesus Christ is about light and life, Satan is about darkness and death. He aims to destroy all that is good and all that is right. Think of the good things God's created in this world. Uh, think Think of the world. Think of human relationships. Think of our bodies. Uh, think of how good these were created. And think now how evil, either indirectly or directly, has affected them. Think of the death and destruction that Satan has brought about uh, in these areas of our lives. Now, this brings to the, the last point. I think perhaps the most of. Uh, if not interesting, at least a uh, salient point, how much power does Satan really have? How much power does he really have? Can Satan do anything he wants? Is it possible for God to, to reign him in? Well, we have to recognize, first of all, that Satan's power is immense. Immense. 1 John 3, 19 B says this, the whole world is under the control of the But that said, there's something else we have to recognize. 1 John 5.18 says, The one who is born of God keeps him safe, and the evil one cannot harm him. The evil one cannot harm him. So, in a sense, Satan has great power, well, in a very real sense, but in also a very real way, his power is limited. True, he has control. We just read it in the verse. The control is limited control. It's finite control. And it's limited by God. Uh, For example, as was alluded to in the last passage, God does not let Satan take his own from him. That's where God draws the line for Satan. We read this in the Gospels. My sheep, this is Jesus speaking, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. So, does God permit then Satan to do what he does? How does that work? God's sovereign, Satan's powerful. How does it all work? Does God permit Satan to do what he does? Yes, I think we have to say in some very real sense, yes, God does permit. Uh, God is ultimately in control, but he gives Satan license, at least for now. And uh, it's a license for death and destruction. Uh, John Calvin says this, With regard to the strife and war which Satan has had to wage with God, it must be understood with this qualification, that Satan cannot possibly do anything against the will and consent Indeed, when we say that Satan resists God and that Satan's works disagree with God's works, we at the same time assert that this resistance and this opposition are dependent on God's silence, meaning God's. So we can say that for some reason, and in some way, God tolerates Satan and his activities and perhaps even directs them. If you're looking for a way to understand all this, um, perhaps this is helpful. It's just an analogy that, that is given by theologians. So we can imagine Satan as a ferocious dog. A ferocious dog. But a ferocious dog on a very long leash. So... ferocious dog. It's a pit bull. Medium-sized leash. We're very big respecters of property rights uh, because of that dog. (laughs) (laughs) But a dog on a leash, and a dog on a long leash can do a lot of damage. A lot. damage that that the dog can do. And it's the same with Satan. Satan, to be sure, can do a lot of damage. You know that, I know that. We see it every day in our lives. But at the same time, he is limited in the amount of damage he can do. How this plays out between God's sovereign will and Satan's uh, uh, destructive activities. How how this plays out and looks from day to day, I can't explain. I can't explain. Beyond my conception. Sometimes, when we probe these issues, we get more questions than answers. But to say we don't know exactly how this works out between God's sovereign will and Satan's destructive activities... Uh, is not to say we don't know anything, we do know a lot actually. We know that Satan is powerful, we know he can do damage, and we know too that God ultimately is the one calling the shots, the one in control. God has the final say, and we know for sure that his people will never, ever, totally be under the control of Satan uh, when they belong to God through Jesus Christ. Will God's people be led astray by Satan from time to time? Absolutely. Will Satan be able to influence them, tempt them, perhaps even terrorize them? Yes. He will. Will Satan do everything in his power to prevent God's people from living the lives that God wants them to live by his Spirit? Well, yes. Yes. But despite all that, despite all Satan's power, despite all his efforts, God's people will never be snatched away, as we've just heard. Never be snatched away by Satan. God will retain hold of them for eternity. In the end, God will win, and Satan won't. And in the end, as we read, as we read the book of Revelation, Christ will come again, and he will triumph once and for all over Satan. The dog and the leash, think of that analogy, dog on the leash, that leash is going to be pulled tight and the dog's going to be put down. Never more to tempt, never more to deceive, never more to oppose, never more to accuse, never more to wreak havoc, never more to cause destruction. So, All this good news about the final victory of Jesus Christ, this is no reason for laxness, or laziness, or or license. We don't just get fatalistic and say, well, it's all going to work out in the end. You know, a little temptation here, a little something else there. No problem. God wins in the end. No, it's no reason for laxness, laziness, or license, but it's a reason for assurance, for joy, and for gratitude. And it's definitely a reason for God's ultimate control and final victory through Jesus Christ gives us the confident expectation of better things to come. In closing, let me just say this. Uh, Satan is real. Satan is powerful. Satan is destructive. I don't think I need to tell any of you that you've experienced in your lives. But God is God. And Satan is not. So we go from here then from here, we praise God for the salvation He has already given us through Christ's first coming. And we praise Him to the salvation He will give us through